If you like listening to my conversations with interesting people, you'll love listening to them or watching them on Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service where you can get access to these interviews early and ad-free, as well as bonus episodes from my YouTube channel and exclusive series you can't find anywhere else. Sign up for Nebula by clicking the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversations with Joe to support the podcast and help promote content that matters. No, I mean, that's in a way, that's the stuff that I find fascinating is the the kind of side effect and knock-on effect of what is essentially, you know, not that a new, you know, there were electric cars in 1908. There were more electric cars in 1908 than there were petrol cars. So it's not like new technology, but what it's doing now, this sort of second generation, is changing so many things about how we produce energy, how we consume it, who owns it, how centralized it is. Do we rely on, you know, one big company generating all the electricity and we all depend on them? That those sort of monopoly positions that we've lived, we've all grown up with. The same with the, you know, with our fuel. You can't fuel a combustion car with anything other than gasoline or, mm-hmm. or diesel. But you can fuel an electric car with electricity from anywhere. It doesn't matter. It doesn't give a toss. If you use burn coal and generate electricity like that, it'll still work in an electric car. And if you use solar, it'll still work. You know, car doesn't care. I always think of it like a teenage kid. Doesn't care where the food comes from. Just give it food. <laughs> So here's the deal with Robert Llewellyn. Even though he and I talk about similar subjects on YouTube, even though I spoke at his live event in Austin right before the pandemic hit, even though he has actually contributed little sound bites to one of my videos before, I've never spoken with him personally. (laughs) Just every chance we've ever had to meet up till now just just kind of fell through. So um, yeah, when we were able to get him on the podcast and hop on here and start talking, I guess guess there was a lot of like catching up to do because we kind of just chatted randomly for a while until I realized that, you know, we were running out of time. We had like 10 minutes left or something like that. So um, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that I wanted to talk to Robert about that I didn't quite get a chance to talk to him about. Clearly need to work on my time management with these interviews. But anyway, uh, moving forward, I'll try to be a little bit better about that. But anyway, a little background on Robert, for those who may not know, he is an actor, comedian, and TV presenter for the UK, or from the UK. Uh, He's best known for playing Crichton on Red Dwarf for like 30 years, which is just incredible. Um, But several years ago or so, he turned his attention to YouTube, and he founded the channel Fully Charged, where they talk about electric cars and sustainability and that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, just a few years ago, they launched their first live show called Fully Charged Live. So I got to attend the one in Austin in 2020. Uh, It was literally like just before everything got shut down for the pandemic. But they've got another one coming up in San Diego on the 9th and 10th of September, uh, which I'll be there for that as well. And I got to say, these events are huge. Like I was just I was blown away at the last one, you know, how big of an event they were able to put on. So if you get a chance to go to one, I highly recommend it. Um, especially if you're into electric cars, you get to see cars that you'd never get a chance to see otherwise. Like at the one in Austin, they had an EV1, which I was super stoked about. I'd never actually seen one in person before. Uh, really old school EV, the whole uh, who killed the electric car thing. Anyway, uh, even though we may not have gotten to everything I wanted to talk about though, um, it was a great time to finally get to meet Robert and talk to him. Uh, I think we did cover some interesting topics anyway. So with that, I will stop talking and get into my conversation with Robert Llewellyn. So I was actually just in your neck of the woods, general oh. part of the world anyway, a few weeks ago. We were in Ireland. Lovely. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Never been there before. Oh, right. That's your first time. No, it is mm-hmm. a, it's a beautiful country. Yeah. No, amazing place. I was not expecting the weather. Um, you know, it's summer, so I packed T-shirts and shorts and stuff, thinking that would that would probably be fine. And couldn't even wear half of it the whole time we were there because it was like 50 degrees well I, I don't know what that is celsius i, still, I never got I never it's not it's that. not hot yeah yeah not i hot, grew up not with fahrenheit all. so i know yeah yeah so i had to like buy some more clothes while i was there <laughs> <laughs> but it was it's generally you know? i mean i i i have experienced hot weather in ireland on one trip many years ago so it, it is possible it does happen but it's not common yeah they get a lot they get a lot of rain Definitely. Yeah, the the tour we were on the, like this adventure tour thing, and the the guide said that uh, there's two types of weather in Ireland. It's either raining or about to rain. Yeah, that that yeah, bore pretty that true. Clear. Seemed to just yeah. kind of start raining all the time. <laughs> in in Hawaii, they call it liquid sunshine. Right. Same That's same good. kind of deal, I guess. Maybe it's an yeah. island thing. I, don't know. I think but, it helps. Yeah. Yeah, but you guys have been pretty warm. 
in uh, we have had this uh, yes we just had this about a week ago we had this freak uh, experience yeah. which we've ne it's never happened in this country it, we've recorded temperature fairly accurately since about 1603 i think so for quite a long time <laughs> and it's never got anywhere near that so it was 40 degrees over 40 degrees centigrade which is about 100 and 107 or something i'm not sure yeah. what it is in fact it's hot and we've never had that you know we've had hot days here it does happen but even in my house so i live in a rural area quite high up on a hill mm. and it's always cold here that's all we ever complain about it's much colder like our leaves on the trees come out later in the year the the, the flowers bloom later if we drive a mile down the road we go down about 800 feet and they've got daffodils or they've got bluebell whatever you know and we're still oh. midwinter it was hot here. We could not believe it. It was actually sweaty hot. It was about 37 degrees centigrade here. So about, about 98 Fahrenheit, you know, so it was, yeah. And that's, we've never known that here. So it has kind of shocked people. And we immediately, as we always do in this country, we immediately had bushfires. We've yes. never had bushfires. And houses were burnt down and whole neighborhoods affected, schools, you know, terrible. All of a sudden, you know, and it was, uh, yeah, we've been not used to that. We actually had a fire here. I'm in Dallas, so I don't know if you know right. that. But um, we had a fire yesterday uh, in a little suburb outside of here where apparently some guy was like mowing a lawn and blade hit something, caused a spark. Wow. Nine houses burned down. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Don't like, cut one your grass. Laugh, but... <laughs> yeah. Yes. God, that's terrifying. Yeah. But it's that easy and that quick. So it's very, you're very dry there then as well at the moment. It has been this year. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, when I, when I hear about you guys having that kind of heat though, like, you know, we had that freak, uh, winter storm yes. last year at the beginning of last year. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of went on my second channel and did a little rant because there were all these Canadians that were like laughing, like we're all laughing at you up here. Cause you're dealing with cold. It's like, we're not built for cold, you know? No. And, and I was saying in that, in that video, like whenever I hear about freak, uh, heat waves in Canada or, or in Europe or yeah. whatever, I don't, I don't laugh at that. I know you guys aren't built no. for that. You don't have AC no. for that. So it's it's 10 times worse. Yeah. yeah, our infrastructure is not designed to cope with that. I mean, we had things like sagging power lines that then set fire to things or the, yeah. like the trains wouldn't run. You know, it's amazing the knock-on effects. Our cars aren't used to those, those kind of temperatures. So hundreds of people broke down in their cars. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah no, all that stuff happened. Yeah, it was, it was for two days. But we do have a prediction for very high temperatures again later this year. So, you know, it's not we're not there yet. But it wasn't like prolonged periods of time. I, my, I'm married to an Australian, so I've spent a lot of time in Australia. In the summer in Australia, it's very hot yeah. <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> but they, their whole infrastructure is built around that my uh, mother-in-law's house is up on sticks it's up in the air you know so oh. that you get airflow underneath uh -huh. and it's a it, you know it's an old queensland house and it's up on on well they call it stumps so it's quite high up in the in the air it's like a tree house wow. really it's it, you know it is an extraordinary different architecture that they build there with very and you have it's just those things where in the uk a roof sticks out maybe that you know like three or four inches over the wall yeah. In Australia, it's about three feet. So you, it's basically got a big hat right. on. So yeah. you've got enough shade underneath, which is similar. I mean, there's a, I was in uh, Austin, Texas, you know, a couple of years ago, and that there was similarities in the, you know, I recognised some of the kind of atmosphere, the buildings mm -hmm. to, to Australia. There's a kind of, that kind of, when you're dealing regularly with that kind of high temperature, the whole structure of a city is yeah. built around yeah. not being, you know, being some, having somewhere cool to go, basically. Well, because you guys are built for uh, for cold and not for not for heat. Yeah, I mean we're built for rain here. We don't because it doesn't get that cold here, but we get a lot of rain. Although we've got we've got uh, it's very dry summer. You know, same thing. It's uh, it's the hardest thing to understand the difference between weather and climate. I've never because uh, I mean, but there you know I can tell I'm old enough to tell. Okay, when I was younger, the summers weren't this hot. The spring, what we see now is how much earlier stuff happens in the year so we have uh swallows that fly up from africa and live in our garage right behind me we've got four nests in there at the moment and uh they they just come sooner they come like about uh three weeks earlier than they ever did say 20 years ago they're, they're actually arrived here earlier because it's 
it springs earlier, you know, so yeah. they're actually, it's nice. I'm happy. It makes me happy that they're here earlier, but it makes you worry, like, what else is going on, you know? So it's funny because I feel like our weather patterns here have shifted to where, like, it doesn't really get cold until well into December, maybe even January. Like, the coldest right. months now are, like, between January and March, where right. it used to be more, like, December to February. Yeah. I mean, are you a Dallas native? Is that is that where you're you were born and raised basically i grew up about 100 miles from here so yeah right yeah haven't haven't not gone been far to in my life yeah. just 100 miles yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i mean but when you're in this country going 100 miles is really a long way <laughs> it's a whole different culture and language and yeah. accent that is funny. Yes. That's one of my favorite i think about england uh, the uk it, like everybody has just go one oh, town over so they've got a different accent it's crazy extraordinary oh, it's honestly it's one village so i live in a very small village in gloucestershire and there is a slightly different accent of the the old families that live here to maybe two miles down the road there would be a different inflection on some words it is the most extraordinary dense thing and it's hmm. kind of fading now because of you know the, the amount that young people are exposed to tv yeah, and yeah yeah uh, you know, all those different things. It has changed. But our neighbour over the road, when we moved here 30 years ago, he was in his late 80s. And I could barely understand him. That, <laughs> his accent was that thick. And uh, he talked about, he talked, I, I can do, or, 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 I can sort of do the accent. Around your, you get the sheep with the sweet back. And he would say something like that. But it would be very swallowed. Round you, get a sheep with sweet back. That's what you're going, round here, you get a sheep. Sway back, which means the back is slightly, uh, it's slightly like a hammock. And you go, wow, how does, how does that even come? But it, and he had been as in his whole life. He lived here for eight over eight years. He'd been to Bristol, which is a city maybe uh, forty miles south of us. Uh -huh. That's and, and never anywhere else. He'd never been. He'd been in the village, and he'd been yeah. in the local town, Winchcombe. and he'd been to Bristol once in his life. And that, he'd never had a passport. He'd never flown in an airplane. Uh -huh. uh, you just think that is such a different life now the yeah. the guy that lives in his house now has a tesla <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on, the, on his old cottage it's that that's who lives there now and, that, and this, the guy we met first of all fred you know he wouldn't he wouldn't even be able to imagine what a tesla was it wouldn't make any sense to him at all <laughs> and he was a shepherd so you think that's you know. why the the accents have stayed so um so so rigid for so long because people just like the old generations just didn't travel yeah, any more than they did they didn't travel no absolutely i mean up until probably even 60 or 70 years ago, up to the second world war i would think most a lot of people got born somewhere and that's where they lived yeah. you know and they yeah. all as my father my family are from wales and uh and england you know a bit of a mixture but my the area that my father's family came in his joke was always I married my sister just like my mum and dad did. <laughs> and there was lots of very cruel jokes about a very close breeding. Uh, it wasn't true. It wasn't true. But, uh, you know, there are some. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, there's certainly some, there's some extraordinary areas of the UK. When you think we know we live in such an interconnected modern culture and international travel and immigration and everything, all these things that have happened, there are still corners of the UK where nothing has really changed for two or three hundred years and it's still it's extraordinary that that, that that i'm always amazed that that survived it's such a small island so yeah. densely populated yeah. there's little bits where you would not know that anyone from anyone from outside this island had ever been here there's no sign of them at all <laughs> i mean in some ways that's kind of cool it's like preserving you know yeah history yeah. in the past or whatever but yeah I mean, I'm from, I've lived my entire life in Texas and that always surprises people because I don't really have much of an accent myself. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to place you. And I'm quite good at accent. I think as British people are generally have got an ear for an accent just because of the way where, where we've grown up. And I would not be able to say you were from Texas. I mean, but then I've probably got a very cliched notion of a texas accent i don't think it's very accurate well so like living in dallas it's 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 a modern city you know and there's people from all over so i think that's part of it i watched tv a lot growing up it's probably part of yeah. it i know i had an accent when i was a kid because i found some old uh, videos of me and i'm right. blown away I, like i thought is that really what i sounded like wow <clears throat> but yeah yeah it's shifted over time i mean it's it, it's a lot to do with your upbringing because my i come from a mixed class background <laughs> 
okay. not mixed race, mixed class. Yeah. So my mother was from a very, quite a wealthy sort of, uh, you know, upper class family. And my father was from a very working class family from the same area around where I live now, not that far away. And so my father would have had a, a local accent, quite a strong local accent, Gloucestershire. Uh-huh. So, we, you know, and he would have talked like that and he would have gone, hello, my name's Reginald, how do you do? <laughs> and my mother was very, very uh, well-spoken, like the Queen, the, you know, the, the yeah, received pronunciation is called posh, yeah. yeah. And when we were children, if we ever said anything, just because we were talking, we said something with a slight tang of the local accent, she would absolutely flip out. Because oh, you know, wow. so, for instance, the word seven, number seven, in the local accent where I grew up, would be Severn. There'd be an R in it, mm, okay. Severn. If we said, "Oh, you know, he's about Severn," you get bang, <laughs> do not hit seven. Don't you dare speak speak like that. She hated it, and so it was really drummed out of us. And so, some people, English people I meet, think that I'm from a, you know, quite a well, a posh family because of the way I've been beaten into speaking. And it's, I'm definitely not. You know, I've got a very low middle-class background, lived in a little funny little house. You know, we were not a wealthy, posh family, but uh, but because of the, you know, the, the, my, it's drummed into you so, sure. yeah. Yeah. so hard. You're half posh. It is a peculiar, yeah. Well, that makes me think of my, my grandparents. Um, my, my grandmother was from sort of the less status family and my grandfather was from like the big family in the area and owned all the land right. and stuff so uh, it was it's it's funny how these things kind of trickle down through the generations and stuff because like my mom yeah. was always talking about how my grandmother was was very like you had to like live up to this standard because she had to like show that she was you know part of this you know society now and everything and we're talking yeah. about like west texas in a town of 300 people so it's not like a <laughs> it's not like a big deal or anything but it was to her you know that's just yeah if that's a universal thing i don't know yes yeah but i think the other thing that it took me years to understand and really or i think probably really didn't understand until after my father passed away but that my fa- my father was in the RAF in world war ii he's a pilot yeah. and he was a very academic high achieving academic as a school kid he did very well at school with mathematics which he he pointed out and we've all agreed was not passed on genetically to any of his children <laughs> but uh, uh but he because he was a because of what happened in world war ii the attrition rate as they call it in the rf was so high that if you survived and you were alive and you could fly an airplane you became you got promoted and because of we live in a absolutely class riddled society in the, in, yeah. in this country, he learnt to speak with a, a an upper a more upper class accent. So he he learnt as an adult or young adult that you don't say Severn, you say seven. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and so then he met my mother after the war and they got married well i think it was an endless regret for the rest of her life that she didn't marry an actual posh boy just a boy that sounded posh (laughs) but it's so peculiar that i didn't really understand how lucky my father was to survive until he he never spoke it's very common of that generation they didn't speak about they didn't they he would make jokes about it he didn't tell us anything and, and i've learned since I've actually done a TV program about his life in the RAF, which was extraordinary. None of us, my brother and sister and I didn't know anything about this extraordinary, uh, you know, the microscopic chance of survival that he had, you know, and yeah. so many of the people he he trained with died. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, really uh, an amazing story. So we didn't, it was a real shame we didn't know that when he was alive, you know, we didn't, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but, that, but that's, it's now clear that's what happened. So he did, he became a sort of proper chap during the war, during the war, and he, you know, he then worked in a bank, you know. So that was. Well, that's interesting. So, so you made a TV show about your dad. Yes, there was a series called War Hero in my family a few years ago. So there was a few people that were on TV in the UK that that uh, you know whose fathers were in the Navy or the RAF or mm-hmm. or even in the Secret Service. Some of them were they that wouldn't know. Uh, and so uh, and the, and the stuff that my father was doing was at the time. Uh, uh, under the official secrets act it was sort of top secret work i mean it's it's now public knowledge it's not a a secret anymore but they were uh, doing research into radar and how the germans used radar and all that sort of thing which was very sensitive at the time Mm. and he never told us and in fact his he signed the official secrets act and it ran out in 1985 
and he lived until 1997 and he never told us he had, he had quite a big period of time he could have told us all of it and it wouldn't have mattered and he didn't he never said anything about it so he kept those secrets his entire life but uh yeah no it was a was an interesting experience so i actually also went to um the city of chemnitz in which has up until fairly recently been in east germany just south of berlin and which which my father was the only city that my father bombed he, he mainly did kind of reconnaissance missions okay. but that one he did bomb at the, towards the end of the war so i went to the city and met the mayor who showed me the pictures effectively of what my dad did which was quite sobering you know because yeah. they flattened it there was nothing left yeah. it was absolutely tens of thousands of people died and this is really when the nazis had finished they'd lost the war by then this is 1945 you know so it was a questionable thing it's very it was a really difficult experience for me to go there because you know i think it's fair to say that the nazis weren't nice <laughs> i think we can say that without being too radical we can say that yeah <laughs> they weren't the nicest people but uh but when you see that, when you saw it, I mean, when I saw that, and now if you go to Chemnitz, now it's a beautiful city, it's spotlessly clean, it's all been rebuilt, it's yeah. all very, and they've rebuilt some of the old city. So it was a beautiful medieval city and they've reconstructed it as okay. it would have been. Uh, some, some of the old centre is like that. But, uh, but when, you know, 1945, it was basically looked like a industrial wasteland. It was just piles of rubbish all over. There was no building it, yeah. they had absolutely that was america had, had a go as well so my, my father bombed at night and the americans bombed in the day for about three days non-stop bombing absolutely round the clock 24 hours a day they were dropping stuff on it's just well we amazing. always hear about the, the, the atomic bombs that blew up but like they did just as much yeah as conventional bombs and oh God, i mean far more people died from as a, yeah. like in dresden and dresden and chemnitz were the two cities and dresden is very well known what happened there yeah. the fire bombing in dresden but yeah, but uh, and that was why I, I do remember that my father did. We don't want to talk about bloody World War II too much, but <laughs> hey, wherever he, he, he did tell us this, <laughs> yeah, but he did tell us that that one story that he because he was a navigator as well, so he would sometimes navigate and they they swapped the pilot and navigator. And he said when they flew there, that on my last mission, I do remember him telling us this, I didn't have to do any navigation because they could see the fires from hundreds of miles away so they just aimed towards that glowing light in the dark and that was where they were going you know because everything the whole city was on fire they didn't have to work out where they were it was very easy and by then there was no uh, fighter aircraft in germany there was no defense at all mm -hmm. and all that stuff anyway yeah wow. that's enough well, that, but that. i'm curious though like this uh, the, the idea of this show was it that you kind of discovered this stuff about your dad and you thought this would be an interesting story and was this like a, a way for you to sort of process it all yourself or I, I, I guess I mean they did approach me to do it so and and uh, uh you know and I, t I told them what I knew of my father and then they they researched it so they, they the did the, the 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 TV production okay. yeah the production company and they went and so they found all the archive documents and all that you know which I would never have I wouldn't even know where to start with that so you did that was an amazing experience to have sure, that yeah. and to see your you know see these contemporary documents of lists of crew and there's my dad oh my goodness wow. <laughs> yeah. in the list you know and he and he did get he got medals and I now I feel very ashamed I can't now remember what they were so he did get some he had medals which my brother uh, now has but uh yeah no it was yeah it was it was fascinating hmm. to to know what, and of course he was a basically a kid I mean he was 18 19 years old I mean and, uh, yeah you know the crews that my mother met. She met some air crews, American air crews. That she she said I remember them as schoolboys, but with uniforms on that were too big for them because they were so scrawny and little. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, my mother grew up in Cheltenham, where there were something like forty thousand U.S. troops stationed around that area in in 1944. Mm. I mean, it's unimaginable to to think yeah. of it now. So many Americans came over, and they had. They were so, they all, uh, my mother and auntie just told, oh, their clothes were lovely. Oh, they had such lovely clothes. And they were so polite. <laughs> <laughs> they were full of admiration for the quality of the cloth that the American Interesting. soldiers had. Yeah. I would have thought it had been the, the cheapest stuff they could find. Yeah. Well, I think in comparison with the rags that the British were wearing, it, it was impressive. Yeah. Wow. That's a yeah. whole perspective. Well, anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah, sorry. Let's move on. On a bit of a tangent there, but that's cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what you been up to lately? I know you got uh, uh, fully charged in San Diego coming up. That's in yes, September. which is very yeah. We've been talking about that today. It is. It is. It's a mixture <clears throat> of terrifying and exciting. Uh, it's terrifying that like no one will come. And then I've I've been always been the skeptical one with all the live shows. The very first one we did here, I was really opposed to it. I said it's a stupid idea. No one's going to come. It's just embarrassing. It's going to be awful. And then on the first day, uh, the first morning of that show, I stood by the doors before it opened, like early in the morning, with my partner, Dan, who is the guy who runs, who organises the show. So I don't do anything. Dan Caesar. Uh, and he stood behind me and he whispered in my ear, I think, I won't use the full expletives, but he said, I think some people have beep, beep, come. And outside the door was, <laughs> was a queue of five thousand people waiting wow. to get it so i then had to okay they will come so that was uh 2018 was the first one we did and then 2019 was five much bigger more than twice as big and then of course we didn't do it we couldn't do it 2020 2021 we did one at the end of 2021 which was amazing and we've just done one now this is here in the uk so we've done four in the uk and the, the most recent we were uh, uh, just over twenty five thousand people attended the event over the weekend and it is an extraordinary experience because it's people who are already interested in the topics that we cover on the show. So electric vehicles, renewable energy, the energy transition, if you like, the big picture of how we, you know, how on earth we can possibly shift away from burning quite as much fossil fuel as we do now. I love you know, the, uh, really... the tagline you guys use is stop burning stuff. Yeah, which it's, is a, it's great in a way it's... It is to the point. I mean, it is cheap and it's stupid, and we know that you can't. We can't stop burning stuff. And it's it, but as a target for the human race, that's really my argument. As a as something to aim for, mm. like, can you make this thing or can you do this thing without burning stuff? Right. Maybe you can't, and then in which case you carry on burning stuff. But a hell of a lot of things you can, <laughs> and and that's what we're learning. And that's kind of what's really driven the whole idea for the last. You know, I've been doing it twelve years now. Is that? that understanding and a lot of that came from my the time I spent in the US so I worked in okay. California quite a lot in the uh from about 2001 to uh, was it or 2000 when did we first go yeah two, yeah 2001 to about 2006 we made a tv series that we'd been making in the UK and we made it in um, in California called it was called junkyard wars on uh, on the discovery channel okay. in in the US it was called scrap heap challenge in england and it was a, an engineering challenge show. It was uh -huh. two teams of engineers have to build a machine I out of stuff that. they found. Yeah, it was it was a yeah. it was popular at the time, and so we made it. We made uh, I think I was involved in four, uh, was it four or five series in the US? But I spent a lot of time there, mm -hmm. um, and and in that time, and it kind of relates to what I'm doing now, is that uh, quite a few of the engineers that worked on the show or worked behind the scenes on the show were doing th things that made no sense to me he said oh i'm 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 working on battery management software what what's that you know <laughs> or uh, i'm i'm where i'm developing electric drive trains oh that sounds boring you know i want a v8 <laughs> i want oh, so an american muscle car yeah, you weren't into the I, electric you know, stuff i no i didn't even know what it meant and i was uh, you know i was in america where they have muscle cars and hummers uh, we actually <laughs> yeah. had a, a we had a crew car, a civilian Hummer crew car, which actually, to be honest, I remember <laughs> feeling very embarrassed driving in down to Santa Monica Boulevard in Los Angeles. I went, this is stupid. Even in this city that I am driving this ridiculous military yeah. vehicle. <laughs> I just felt <laughs> so embarrassed. <laughs> that that yeah, H1 so, that Arnold Schwarzenegger was driving around in? Yes, it would have been cool if it was that. No, it wasn't. It was, a, it was diesel. It was oh, okay. a proper old tank. But yeah, so that, but it was very, uh, it was an extraordinary time. And I had a, a, a ride in an, an early electric prototype car with some engines, not to do with the show, sort of separate from the show. And it kind of still didn't click with me. It took a few years before I went, oh, I see. And it's learning those things kind of backwards in a way. I sort of met these people who were doing this stuff, saw an electric car, couldn't understand why you'd bother making one. I had a ride in a Prius, which we didn't have in the UK oh. at that time. And we didn't know, I didn't know what that was. I was going, a hybrid makes no, that word means nothing to me. What the hell is that? 
and, and why would you bother? And it, I then learned why they bothered, you know, things um, like the EPA and the, and the Californian Air Resource Board and the traffic pollution in Los Angeles, yeah. which I was very aware of the, the kind of uh, atmospheric pollution was, you know, you, you couldn't not be aware of it on a bad day in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. You know, you, it was there in your face. So, so that's sort of uh, where that came from. And it is, so it's kind of exciting to go back to, to San Diego and California to, to do the show uh this september i'm really looking forward to it I think it will be amazing we've got such amazing cars there so some of the new car companies like aptera are, are really oh they are there, gonna be big there. time with it. yeah yeah i've been wanting to get is, one of those yeah me too for years and, that, and that's and i'm fascinated by how that the, the some of the startup electric car companies that i'm praying are going to work and then they disappear and then you go oh you yeah. give up and then they come back and you go wait a minute i thought they were dead <laughs> and that terrorist i remember hearing all this stuff about terror probably five six seven years ago and then not uh -huh. a peep and then suddenly they're back and they've got loads of cars and they're making them and it's all well okay and that's happening yeah. in europe too we've just done a report goes out today on our show uh about the the sono scion this little mm. It's like a small uh, city car, hatchback car, but it's got it's basically built of solar panels. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't charge itself. It doesn't, you know, you would, if you had one, you'd have to charge it sometimes. But boy, does it make a difference. You know, if you mm. parked a car out in the sun, you're going to add maybe 20 or 30 miles range to it. And you've done nothing. You've left yeah. it out in the sun. You know? yeah. <laughs> Which it sounds like, it doesn't sound like the dumbest idea. And it's, it's they really, if, if they manage to produce it at the price they're saying, it's cheaper than pretty much any other electric car on the market. Yeah. And it's some, and it's just genius engineers have built this in Germany. Amazing people. This episode is supported by curiosity stream. So when you're done with this interview and you decide you want to keep enjoying that sweet, sweet EV content, you might want to go check out the series engineering the future on curiosity stream, specifically the episode on electric cars, where they talk to the heads of Aptera and Arrival and consider the, the challenges of creating the EV infrastructure and what it all means for the future of transportation. It's a really cool series and all the other episodes in that series follow really cool stuff that's going on uh, in future development and stuff like that. So it's definitely worth checking out. But this is just one of thousands of documentaries on science, history, art. The list keeps going from some of the best filmmakers around the world. And while some other streaming services keep raising their rates, CuriosityStream is insanely affordable. It's only $14.79 for an entire year when you use my URL, curiositystream.com slash joescottpod. But it gets even better because when you sign up for CuriosityStream, you also get Nebula, the streaming service I'm a part of, as well as your favorite smart YouTubers, where you can see our stuff ad-free and earlier than everyone else, meaning this podcast on Nebula you know, wouldn't have this amazing ad read you're listening to right now. But don't hold that against it. It's also the only place where you can see my Nebula original series, Mysteries of the Human Body, and my brand new series called Forgotten Atrocities, where I take a look at some of the darker moments in human history that maybe you might not have heard of. And yeah, you get both of those services for only $14.79 for an entire year. I know the economy looks scary these days. We might be, you know, tightening our belts a little bit more. But when it comes to subscription services, I did the math. It, it's like $0.62 cents per month per service. It's, it's almost impossible to get more bang for the buck. So, again, go to curiositystream.com slash joescottpod. Again, that's curiositystream.com slash joescottpod. And uh, you can just get started on, on feeding your curiosity and your nebula together all at once. So go check that out. And thanks to CuriosityStream for supporting this podcast. Now back to Robert. Like you always see these like three wheeled cars and I've, I've never been interested in any of them, but for some reason, Aptera, I am like, yeah. I, I would just love to get my hands on it and just see how long I could, I could drive it, you know, and just, yeah, just yeah. go with it. Yeah, no, we've just, uh, uh, Jack Scarlett, who does our cars more now, is he's just been in one and he loved it. So he's raving about it. So I don't know. I haven't seen they they shot an episode recently about it. I I haven't seen the the rough cut yet. Well, I know I'm they did just um, maybe last week. They did a, like a redesign, or they they introduced a new gamma version of it, or something where they right. they've made little tweaks with their you know wind tunnel software and stuff to make it even slicker and everything. Yeah. So they're they're still improving on it. Yeah. No, I mean that's in a way that's the stuff that I find fascinating is the the kind of side effect and knock on effect of what is essentially, you know, not that a new, you know, there were electric cars in 1908. There were more electric cars in 1908 than there were petrol cars. So it's not like new technology, but what it's doing now, this sort of second generation is changing so many things about how we produce energy, how we consume it, who owns it, 
how centralized it is. Do we rely on, you know, one big company generating all the electricity and we all depend on them? That those sort of monopoly positions that we've lived, we've all grown up with. The same with the, you know, with our fuel. You can't fuel a combustion car with anything other than gasoline or, mm -hmm. or diesel. But you can fuel an electric car with electricity from anywhere. It doesn't matter. It doesn't give a toss. If you use burn coal and generate electricity like that, it'll still work in an electric car. And if you use solar, it'll still work. You know, car doesn't care. I was thinking of it like a teenage kid. Doesn't care where the food comes from. Just give it food. <laughs> that's, that's how my kids were. Darling, I want to explain to you the ethical sourcing of this of this salad. We made. Shut up. I just want to eat it. Yeah. Just give me the gummy worms. Yes. I'll, I'll eat it. I don't care. It's carcinogens, yeah. whatever. Yeah. I'm immortal. I'm a teenager. Um, yeah. well, so, so what was the thing that, that got you so, um, I mean, you were talking about like being in, in California and seeing a Prius for the first time and that kind of thing. Like, like, was there, was there a moment where you were like, okay, this is what I want to dedicate a YouTube channel to and do live shows for like, what was the switch point for you? Yeah, I don't know. I think it was, I don't, I mean, I, I wish there was one, I can, you know, there was a, a moment over time. But I think it was that I, by then, I, so I got a Prius, I was one of the early Prius owners. So I came back from the United States to, to here and I had a, a, a hot hatchback, a Golf, a Golf with a ridiculous truck engine in it. It was ridiculous, it, terrible uh, <laughs> MPG, it was hopeless. But very noisy, it made a lot of noise. It made a nice sound, a, a R32 Golf it's called. Uh, very uncomfortable, very, quite fast. But by today's standards, not really fast at all. You know, I've got a Tesla that isn't a performance one. It's much faster. But anyway, uh, so I and I traded that in for a Prius. And, uh, and uh, well, I was intrigued by then, you know, that a gallon of gas in the UK got me 22 miles in the Gulf and it got me 72 miles in the Prius. And I went, that is, that kind of clicked something. That was definitely a moment where I went, oh, oh my okay. God. And, uh, you know, there's, I mean, I think the Prius is, you know, a historically important vehicle in that transition. Uh, I think it's a bit dated now, but uh, it was, a, you know, it was an amazing change mm -hmm. to suddenly go from someone who is essentially, you know, was a kind of closet petrol head, because I knew it was wrong, but I loved it. So, I, you know, my brother, my brother is uh, and a proper engineer who had worked in form, building Formula One cars for different teams, building amazing gearboxes and exhaust manifolds and you know that very much uh, engines and gearboxes was his thing and uh you know so that was in the blood if you like that sure, that, sure. that fascination and then and then to sort of you know an electric car in comparison with the passion of a highly tuned noisy combustion engine an electric car is basically a vacuum cleaner because it's quite boring, you know <laughs> yeah. vroom, vroom, you got that and then you've got yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very hard to get that passionate about it. But then you sort of, it was the air quality thing, I think, got me. Oh, that okay. I went, you know, this does stink. And when I still had quite young children, then I went, this is, that's not, can't be good for them. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know much about science, but I've got a feeling <laughs> this is less than optimal. You know, that stuff. So I think it was, a, it was a, it was not an overnight thing. It was a slow process. And I think what, there was definitely one a little catalyst was that there was an episode of Top Gear in the late 90s when it would have been, yeah, no, no, late uh, 2000, sorry, not the late 2000s, 2008, nine, somewhere around then, where they they drove uh, the Tesla Roadster. They did the test mm. of the Tesla Roadster. And there was some, you know, it was a scandal. It wasn't a scandal. It was stupid television, but they... <laughs> They said it ran out. The battery ran out, and you, yeah. there was footage of the, the crew pushing the car into a, a hangar so they could plug it into a three-pin socket, yeah. and it was going to take two weeks to charge it, and uh, you know all that stuff. Like, and then worst-case scenario possible. Yeah, worst-case scenario. And actually, it later transpired that it hadn't run out of batteries. It, they'd blown a fuse, and they replaced the fuse, and it worked again for ages. Yeah. You know, so all that stuff. But that was irrelevant. But what what twisted it was. They followed that with a review of the Honda Clarity hydrogen fuel cell car in California. James May drove that and said, oh, no, this, this is the future. <laughs> and I knew enough about hydrogen fuel cells, not much about battery, but I knew enough about the hydrogen fuel cells to know he was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and that was quite difficult then to think this program with enormous clout amongst 
the people who are interested in and buy cars. Yeah. They all then went for the next 15 years, well, hydrogen is the future. There's no hydrogen cars. There's no hydrogen infrastructure. It hasn't worked. It's been a disaster. It's a con job by the fossil fuel industry, but people still do. I, I met a guy last night. He said, oh, these battery cars are interesting, but, I, you know, they're just transition vehicles. I'm waiting for hydrogen. I said, how old are you? Keep he said, waiting. No, I said, you're, uh, you said, yeah, I'm 55. And I said, you, you'll be 120 before you. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. That's, but so that was uh, I went and went, well, I know it's when you see something like that and you go, I know they're wrong. <laughs> I don't think they're wrong. I'm not wondering whether they're wrong. I don't have a different opinion. They're just wrong. And they have an enormous influence. And so I wanted to counter that as well. So that was OK. That was the, maybe the catalyst that really kicked me over to doing something about it. But okay. I mean, that's sort of long forgotten now. So it's kind of irrelevant. And I've driven three hydrogen fuel cell <laughs> cars. They're all brilliant. It's just I couldn't fill them up anywhere. Yeah. And they yeah. were incredibly expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and the Honda I mean, Clarity, I think the Honda Clarity cost Honda about two million pounds a car to build that car, which is why they don't sell them. They only lease them. You can't buy one. Yeah. So anyway. I mean, yeah. I get the idea behind hydrogen and I think it's interesting, but like like you said, there's was it 15 stations in California or something? And yeah, there may be more than that. I mean, the, the thing that I find, you know, the sort of the it's the misunderstanding. I think I would love it to work. I'm not opposed right, to it at all. Right. It'd be fantastic if, you know, if I, when I cycle along a street in a town in the UK and I'm cycling behind a diesel car, I'd much rather that was a hydrogen car. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a lot better. Yeah. Uh, you know, God. yeah yeah but i mean but the the i think the really the question we have to ask is uh where does the hydrogen come from and the, and the, the answer is at the moment globally 98 percent. so so pretty much all of it is is steam reformed out of natural gas yeah it's a it's a fossil fuel derivative so which CO2. is yeah and it's not bad it's not that that's bad and, and the actual use of it is it is better but it, that has not been solved and we have a company in this country that produces hydrogen from wind from excess wind and they, they're successful and they've got a lot of investment and there's a there is a gas station in, in the outside london which has a big wind turbine right next to it which is only used to split water to produce hydrogen to, to you know Through, so uh, it, electrolysis? It, it can be done yeah yeah okay. it can be done but it's an enormous energy loss. If you put yeah. the same power into a car, the car uh, into a battery electric car, the car would, it is, it is shocking. The, the hydrogen car will do about two and a half miles per four kilowatt hours. And a battery electric car will do uh, about 18 to 20 yeah. miles on the yeah. same electricity. And you just go, there's, there's something wrong there. That's, yeah. that's not a sensible use of energy, but anyway, yeah. I did a, a video on that a while back. It's probably been a few years now, uh, kind of comparing battery electric to to hydrogen, and and, and yeah, the, the the energy losses along the way to get the hydrogen into the car just in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and like you said, unless you have some kind of on-site power generation to make the hydrogen on-site, you still got the transport issue where you got yeah. hydrogen being tanked into stations on diesel trucks. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is. A, it is a really difficult one. I mean, I think it definitely has a role in in, um, and it's possibly shipping. Certainly, uh, heavy plant is as an argument for you know, like big big earth moving machines and things mm. like that. As a, yeah, yeah. A role, and maybe trucks and buses. We have a lot of hydrogen buses in London that seem to be functioning okay. I don't know, but there's there's now more battery electric buses in London, you know, we still have some hydrogen ones, they're hydrogen fuel cells, so they're all electric. And I think the other thing, the other misconception that a lot of people who aren't involved in the automotive industry, and why should they be, is that they, they sort of see it's just the argument of it's quicker to, to refill it. Mm. And also batteries are bad. You know, they've been told batteries about, well, I've driven three hydrogen fuel cell cars, they all had big battery packs not not tiny ones big ones mm -hmm. which were exactly the same battery packs you have in an electric car so you don't have that advantage they also had massive tanks that took up a lot of space in the yeah. cars and an enormously complex system of you know it's very very complicated to have clean oxygen going into a uh, you know very very clean the filtering yeah. Uh, yeah. to put the air into the into the fuel cell is is I didn't even they, think they about had that, the, yeah 
Yeah, I didn't. I never did. It was only when I drove uh, the, it was, what was it called? The Hyundai Nexo. Beautiful uh, hydrogen fuel cell car. Really nice. Drove it right across South Korea. And they, ha they have to change the filters all the time. It's a constant. Uh. Because I was driving behind a big old Korean uh, diesel truck. So the air coming out was coming into the front of the car was being filtered. So the air I was breathing in the car was beautiful, super clean. But that stuff has to go somewhere. Uh -huh. If you're sucking a load of dirty smoke and blowing out really clean air, something's happened. <laughs> that dirty smoke has got to go somewhere. It doesn't disappear. Yeah. yeah, I never thought about the filtration, but that's true. You would have, it would be like changing your filter in your dryer all the time or something. Yes. Yeah. Only probably slightly more complicated. Yeah, you probably have yeah. to take it in to do it. I mean, maybe they can design it so you can just like flip them out. But still, that's like you're yeah. constantly buying. But it is stuff. stuff you have to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's it's a it's a very that's a very inside baseball <laughs> conversation. But um. yeah. Well, so how many different um, electric cars have you had personally? Oh, oh, not that many. Uh, although we just got a new one now, so we lease we lease them. So I own a Nissan Leaf. From the, which is the very first one made yeah. in Japan. Uh, so from, it was made in 2010, still goes. I, I have replaced the battery in it because it had appalling range when it was new and it had <laughs> appalling range when it was 12 years old. So I've put a new battery in uh, recently, which is from an old leaf, uh, from a new leaf, sorry, that was in a car crash. So it was, oh, okay. it's actually done very little. But my daughter now uses it. My daughter is a, works in TV production, not connected to me uh, in, for the BBC. She works for the BBC. And she drives it around all the time and it's, she loves it. And, it's, uh -huh. and so it's done, I don't know, it's done 85,000 miles, I think something like that. And I mean, the thing is that, yeah, the battery was failed on that car because it was an early, it was really one of the first mass produced electric sure, car. Yeah. And they've done a lot of changes since then, but it's been incredibly reliable. You know, and I've had, I'm old enough to have had a lot of old petrol cars. Mm -hmm. And the thing that was the most common experience was they break down. You take them in to get, you take them into the shop to get fixed. It, can, you know, it happened all the time. It's just normal. Yeah. You know, yeah. I would spend hundreds of pounds a year keeping a very cheap car going on the road, you know, because everything mm -hmm. broke and fell off. And, you know, and, uh, and I've got to say the Leaf, we've done nothing to it at all. It's not had any other than the battery, nothing, tires, and, not, uh, and, and two brake pads, I think. And the rear windscreen wiper, that well, I was furious because that was quite a lot of money. It was about 12 pounds. Funny how your perspective but, shifts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's so, I mean, that's so, yeah, we've got that. We Now I have a Tesla Model 3. I had a Tesla Model S, Tesla Model 3 now, and, a, and we used to have a Hyundai Kona, which was brilliant. Oh. But we've just, the, the lease of that, because people, the, everyone's finding it hard to, if you want to buy a new car at the moment, you've got to wait years. And mm. um, so we'd waited an extra year with our Kona, which we were fine with. And now uh, the lease company that we work with have, have found an ID4, Volkswagen ID4. I think they found it parked around the back of a <laughs> shed. <somewhere. laughs> it's brand new. But uh, so we managed to get that. So we've only had that three or four days. Uh, oh, it's, wow. oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, I, 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 I was going like to ask it. you about that because I haven't had a chance to get in one yet. Yeah, it is. Like it so far? I mean, it is big, you know, because basically we didn't choose. We, we, we said, whatever you can get. And I was sort of hoping it would be smaller. So it's, it's a bigger than we really need. It's only my wife and I. Uh, although she does, she's an artist, so she moves big printing plates and big sure. picture frames around. So it's great for that because it has got a, it's a really roomy car. I, I, I think it's fantastic. I was intrigued by its energy performance the first couple of times I drove it because it seemed the Kona is legendary you know you can you can genuinely get five miles to the kilowatt hour out of a Kona wow. and there's really not many other cars you could do that with it was an extraordinary uh, energy efficiency and when I first drove the 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 Volkswagen I, I was getting about three and a bit you know I was going oh it's, it's not as good three and a bit miles per kilowatt hour well yesterday I got 4.8 so I've got, I've learned how to drive it and I go, yeah, four point eight. <laughs> yes, result. Yeah, that's what you want. Yeah. So, that, so you know, it, it's, it's grown on me. It's a, and it's very comfortable, very easy to get in and out of. It, it's as always with all the, 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 I had a conversation about this this morning, the software, it, it, legacy car makers. So it doesn't matter which one, you can pick on all of them from Ford to Volkswagen to Mercedes to, to all of Nissan. 
Toyota, all of them, they're rubbish at software. Mm. And when you and you, when you've had a Tesla for a while, you go, why can't the others be like that? Why is it why is it going to be such a pain? So the software and the the app that you can get with a Volkswagen, it's like you're kidding. That it doesn't it, work. It's incredibly uh, difficult to make it connected. I just gave uh, up and I've said. Is it because I'm old and I don't get it? I've just been talking to a 26-year-old who can't make the app work. <laughs> and he's going to take it to a 17-year-old to see if the 17-year-old can make the app work. Because it's just... And, I, and, I, and I'm an old, fuddy-duddy old git. And I've got a Tesla. And I've got the Tesla app. And I went bing, bing, bing. And they're all connected. And it's always connected. And it's always worked. So why can Tesla do that and no one else? What is wrong with them all? Because they started from a different place, I guess. I guess they did. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it is it is hard because I'm sort of the antithesis of a Tesla fanboy. And I don't want to be one. And, and my, my wife said, I, I don't care about cars at all. They're the most boring thing in the world. The Tesla's a brilliant car. That's that's oh. yeah. She doesn't care. She's well, done, she's got a very good sales pitch. So a lot of her friends that she there's this group of friends that have in a book group, a reading group. They've been doing it for 30 years plus. And now out of the eight women, six of them have electric cars. Uh, and that's all because of Judy. And she does not do, <laughs> she does not do electric car promotion. Yeah, they, she'll drive up to one of their houses and they'll come out and go, oh, is that one of Robert's electric cars? And she goes, I don't know, it's just a bloody car. <laughs> <laughs> it goes when I press the thing down. How do you, how do you drive it? What do you mean how do you drive it? You just get in and drive it like it's just a car. What are you talking about? And she doesn't want to talk about it. And what about charging? Oh my God, what do you do with your phone? You plug it in, shut up. <laughs> she sounds a, and I've thought, that's the way to sell electric cars. You don't do it. Well, no, you've got to learn about yeah. No, no, just plug it in, shut up, do something yeah. else. I, and that's actually that I, I love that because I you know, when I first got my Tesla, every time you pull, well, it was also brand new. So like every time you pull up at the Starbucks or something, there's somebody out there like, tell me about your car. Yeah. It does get a yeah. little like, oh, come on, just let me do my thing um, after a while. But that that's kind of where I would always default to where I would just be like, it's just it's a car. It's just a car. Just a car it yeah. works just like any other car. You just put in yeah. you don't use gas. You just plug it in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah. there is something about uh, maybe it is because they started from a different place or whatever. But there's something about the experience of of driving the Model Three that um, it just changes people. It changes yeah. the way they think about driving. And th there's there's a an old guy I went to high school with like way back when. I haven't actually seen him in decades, but we're you know connected online and stuff. And I guess he took a test drive or had a, a day or two or rented a, a Tesla for a few days or whatever. And, and he reached out to me and was like, you know, so how do you, how do you still like your Tesla and all this? And he was like giving me the, and, right. and he's a country boy. He, he like right. sells guns. I mean, you name it. He's, he's <laughs> like as Texas as it gets. And, and, but he was just raving about it. He was like, that was the most fun I've ever had in a car. Wow. And, wow. and you know, he was like, sounded like he was on the road to getting one. Yeah. Was interested in it. Um, which really surprised me because he lives out in the middle of nowhere. There's no charging stations anywhere. Right. Near yeah. But um. But I mean, that's what happens, you know, people get yeah. on the wheel of it. And it's just like, I don't see myself going back. And every time now I get in a rental car when I'm traveling or something, yeah. I get a gas car. Shocking, it's just isn't like, it? Yeah. It's like I'm in a stagecoach <laughs> or something. I'm like, what is this? That's a good time. It's like I've climbed up on a stagecoach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that one horse isn't going. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And, and it's funny because no, you were talking earlier about the the sound, like you like the sound of a of a you know V8 yeah. or whatever. Now when I'm at a light, and there's a car next to me, and we start driving, and I hear that car just like, yeah, just keeping up with me. Yeah, you know, and, and yeah, it's like that. I just hear struggle. That's the term. Yeah, yeah. It it's just, just that car is just working so hard straining. to just move yeah, yeah. forward. You know. Isn't it strange? No, it has. It's affected me now. I mean, now I know. I, we we live in a, an area where on a very small road, really narrow. It, uh, I'm trying to imagine explaining this to a Texan. If you can imagine <laughs> a sidewalk with hedges, with bushes either side, narrow it down, uh -huh. and that's a road in England. It's no, very, no, I was just narrow. in Ireland, so I know exactly what you're talking right, about. Right, so you know, you know. Yeah. But they. It was um, funny because like every single time we get on one of those roads, we're like, "This is a one-way street, right?" And they're like, yes. "Nope." <laughs> well. <laughs> What? 
but that we get there like on a Sunday, there'll be sort of a car club of, of old Bentleys or old Alfa Romeos or, you know, whatever it is, and old MGs. And they'll all drive past like 20 or 30 cars. And you'll hear the be sometimes beautiful sound, an old Bentley. But then the, 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 the smell wafts into the garden. You go, Gee, that is appallingly bad. I cannot separate those two things now. That noise is gas coming out of a pipe. <laughs> and it's toxic gas. And if you breathe it in, you die. You know, mm -hmm. that's the problem. It's like, and so it's, it, has, it has spoiled that for me somewhat. You know, I can't quite appreciate it in the same way. Well, it's funny you were talking That's a second a ago about uh, being in, in L.A. when um, I guess they had cracked down on all the emissions and stuff. Because, I mean, for a while there, it was just smog and just. Oh, it was terrible. I mean, the first time I went, 80, 86 or 87, I can't remember. I think it was 80, 87. Yeah, that would have been. The first time I went, my, I got off the plane. I thought I'd caught a disease. I thought I can't see. My eyes were stinging. My throat was hurting. Yeah. I hadn't. I was fine. It was, it was just the air pollution and i lived in london at the time so i wasn't <laughs> living in a pristine clean environment it was yeah. stinky you didn't stinky step out of a biodome into, into la yeah but it was um, really yeah it was a bad day the people i was staying with said oh it's a bad it's a bad smog day there's been an alert and all i didn't know anything about it you couldn't see we went up a hill where you co could see the hollywood sign so we couldn't see it yeah <laughs> no we yeah. went up a building sorry in, in downtown la and they say oh the hollywood signs just over there there was nothing it was white mist Toxic <laughs> you can fog. see through the orange smog it's back yeah 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 well it, it kills me though because like during that same time period let's say between maybe i don't know the, the the 50s and 60s through maybe the 80s there was also lead in the gasoline yeah and and people yeah. smoked like constantly yeah. and it was just like how did we survive how did anyone live past 35 yeah <laughs> well a lot of people didn't no, I smoked. I mean, I, I don't know if I was, I know I hadn't, wasn't smoking when I went to LA, but before that, I definitely was. Uh -huh. So I would cycle in London it through horrendous traffic with diesel taxis and buses with a cigarette, <laughs> just to <laughs> add to it, just to give it that extra bit. Yeah. <laughs> just to get all the fresh air out of your lungs. Whatsoever. Yeah. It's funny, but I do I, remember, I remember that, like that, the old that. smoking rooms in, in, in airports and stuff, yeah. and it was just like yellow. Like yeah. just the windows were yellow and the, the curtains and everything. It's unbelievable. It is so bizarre to look back at that. Well, I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember people just, there weren't smoking rooms. Right. It was just smoking. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I remember going to Paris when I was quite young. And uh, even then I laughed about it because the French guy I was with, he said, this restaurant is split into two sections, smoking and chain smoking. <laughs> everyone was there. <laughs> they were eating. They had cigarettes. While they're still working, or like yeah. the new and I one remember the, the old the, one. My first flight to New York, which would be in the eighties, the the uh, I think I did I did still smoke there, but I opted for a no smoking seat because I thought it'd just be horrible, you know. Even then, I had sort of mm. some standards; they were pretty low. <laughs> and then, as soon as the the light dinged, the, the, the bell dinged to say you can take your seatbelt off, you know, when you when you after you've taken off. There was this incredible sound, which was basically about 250 cigarette lighters clicking <laughs> as everybody lit up on a plane. And yeah. I mean, that was at the back of the plane. And when you, if you needed to go to the toilet, you'd have to walk to the, to the, you know, the, uh -huh. the, I was going to say the toilet, but that's an English, the restroom, the bathroom, the water, the water closet. I don't even know what to call it, but you walk, walk through this, this thick, this thick smoke you'd have to walk through to get there. It was unbelievable. And that was on an aircraft across the atlantic i remember somebody saying yeah, it was normal that, then it's uh, just normal a smoking section on an airplane is the same as a peeing section in a pool yes yes i've heard that said before <laughs> outside of cars uh you, you, you also talk about like battery storage and green energy and stuff like that on the channel and stuff i was curious if you could think of a specific thing that you've covered recently non-car related that you think is like a real world changer like something you're really excited about there's a few things i mean certainly the experience that, that uh, I, okay, so I think it, if you've got enough solar, which I now have, <laughs> so it's something I've been planning for years. I just got even it in like this, a month ago. Right, yeah. And you have so much more sun than we do, but that, this year we, we haven't used, and it, this was never my intention, you know, to, to go off grid. It's not what I want to do, but, uh, but, but to reduce the amount that I take from the grid is very nice. And for the last, uh, we're now we're now on day twenty three. We have not used one 
electron from the, from the grid. Cool. So we produced all the electricity we used. And, and, and that's not that hard in a house. But if you've got two electric cars, that's quite a challenge. So we've yeah. charged our, and we also haven't charged, we've charged, uh, yes, in that time, I have charged one of the cars away from home, like on a public charger. But the Tesla is now up to 750 miles, just plus, in fact, my wife's just driven it, so I don't know. It's between 750 and 80, 800 miles. And we haven't put one electron in that car that doesn't come from our solar panels. Awesome. And that is just the fact that that is possible. Now, that is 10 times more possible in Texas because you have so much more sun, mm -hmm. you know, so that that when you, and that is really that was the game changer for me when I, and I first tried this years ago. When you fill a car up with enough juice to make it drive 100 miles, I mean, no, no big shakes. And none of it has been drilled up, transported, refined, used electricity to refine it, used cobalt to clean the sulfur out of it, mm. transported in a tanker, put in a thing, pumped in a tank, all that stuff. You do none of that. A little bit of sun hits the roof, goes down a tiny little wire into an inverter, goes out into a box, comes out in a tube thing. There'll be losses in that process, maybe two or three yeah. percent. Most of it is going in the car. And then you drive that car and you go, that is mad. You could not do that. I'd have to have my own oil rig and oil refinery in my garden <laughs> to be able to do that, um, which I'd be—I'd quite like to do. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, so that I think that experience of that—that that kind of was that was really the tipping point where I went. Mm. This stuff is really important, you know, and it's on a microscopic scale in my house. It makes no difference to the country or the world. Yeah. But when there's a million houses like mine in the country, it, it, you know, if you talk to the engineers that run the grid here. That is a huge impact. And if it's 10 million houses, it's phenomenal. And if there's 20 million cars that are plugged in with electricity going both ways, bi-directional charging, that's five new nuclear power stations worth of energy mm -hmm. at, a, at, at a moment when, when there's a peak in demand. Or, you know, yeah. And when there's a drop in demand, you fill them up. And when there's a peak in demand, you empty them. Yeah. And, uh, that stuff is, is a real sort of shift in the way we, we deal with energy and and, uh, and the way we move around and what, you know, all, that, all those things. So I think those are, you know, the, the combination of batteries and solar is, is, a, is a, it's in its really nascent stage. It's only just emerging that what mm -hmm. that can do. But the fact that I can run a house with, and we only have electricity in the house. We don't have any gas. So our water's cooking, lights, everything is, is electric. There's no, we don't have uh, gas of any sort here. Mm. And the fact that you can do that for, I think we're at whatever it is, 25 days without any grid power. And in the winter, we charge batteries at night when our electricity is very cheap. So we're, oh, okay. yeah. so we're, what's wrong with all this is that we're privileged enough to be able to, and we've got enough space to be able to do that, to install that and pay for it and everything. Whereas people who are on very low incomes who live in an apartment where they can't charge a car, <laughs> where they can't put solar panels on their roof because they don't have a roof, it's someone else's roof. And they're paying now so much for their energy. It is, it's like punishing what, what's happened to it. Our uh, utility bills have gone insane. They've gone up by hundreds of percent. It's, it's terrifying. This winter coming is terrifying for, for a huge majority of people in this country because, you know, so that is the downside of it. But the, Upside is, well, then let's do something about that. Let's make sure those people are running on renewable electricity with batteries so that they can live a decent life for less money. You know, that's yeah. a critically important thing that we can't, you know, it's the, 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 all the resistance, all the blocks to using different technology are now psychological, not technological. It's the yeah. fear of, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm used to buying petrol. Yeah, because some of our petrol comes from Mr. Putin. Yeah. It's really not a good idea. Let's possibly stop giving him money. You know, and even the uh, economic arguments are starting to go the other way for, for renewables and stuff. So. Yes, yes. I mean, it is without question. There's no one. I mean, no one argues that anymore. It's the cheapest way. If you want to generate electricity cheaply, you use renewables, you use solar or wind. No, it's amazing that we're at that but, point now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely, it's a measurable, it's not an argument anymore, it's just a yeah. fact, you know, it's just a, yeah. yeah, and it's going to get cheaper, I think it's not going to get more expensive, but yeah, yeah that's, that's. We got like one minute left, I want to give you a chance to, to, to promote Fully Charged Live oh. San Diego. <laughs> fully Charged I'm, Live I'm San there. Diego. What else do people need to know, come on. Yeah, exactly, you're going to be there. 
It's uh, 10th and 11th of September at the San Diego Convention Center. Is that that is the correct term? I think it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's right in the middle of downtown San Diego. I've seen it about 10 years ago. I remember where it, I know where to go when I get to San Diego. Oh, it's just down there. <laughs> so I'll be there. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be amazing. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Hundreds Anything of tours. Anything going on there that, that wasn't in Austin this last time? Well, I guess there's going to be different cars. There's going to be more cars and different cars. So, you know, all the ones that you saw at Austin, but plus a hell of a lot more, a lot more talks, different people in the talks, some really amazing people I've just, we've just managed to arrange that are doing, that are appearing on panels and things. And a, a lot of uh, micro mobility, a lot of electric bikes and scooters okay. and yeah. stuff like that, a whole range of all that stuff. So, yeah, I think there's, I, because I, I don't organize it. The, the one of the good thing, two good things about me not organizing it is if I did organize it, it would be a disaster. And also, I don't know what's there. So when I walk in, it's really exciting for me because I haven't seen Oh, you it. get to experience oh God, it like everybody that. else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So I get I get a genuine experience. I, I try and remain as ignorant. I'm so busy doing the video shows. I haven't got time to mm. sort of get that involved in the live show. So uh, it, that, that is very much Dan's thing and he does an amazing job yeah no That's so cool. if you're a, can get there i can only say it's great fun and you know the the people that come back now every year in the uk have kind of they, they kind of make that true you know they, yeah. they really enjoy it it's great for family as well loads and loads of kids i'm always amazed how many kids turn up at our shows it's really it's nice to stuff. see yeah yeah well, I want to respect your time, um, and I really appreciate this. It's funny, like this is the first time we've actually talked. I haven't. Been, I know. I, I was I was at fully charged in Austin, but I think you were sick, and so we didn't. I was to, unwell. Yes, in, no, so. I was not not COVID, but I was very unwell. But I'm much better now. I've recovered. Yeah. <laughs> I would hope so after all this time. <laughs> yes. Um, well, Robert, I really appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing you in San Diego. Thanks, Joe. Thanks very much. See you soon. Big thanks to Robert for coming on the show. I hope we get a chance to do it again sometime in the future. Really great guy. And and frankly, you know, an inspiration. Um, you know, he could have gone in any direction, but he chose to dedicate himself to something that he believes in, something that he believes could help the world be a cleaner, better place. And I think that's awesome. So good man. This episode was produced by Kimmy Britt, edited by Bray Brown. I'm Joe Scott. You can find me at Answers with Joe pretty much everywhere on the socials. Of course, my YouTube channel is Answers with Joe. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening. Please do share this if you thought it was interesting. And a nice review on whatever podcast player you're listening to right now really does go a long way. It's very appreciated. But until next time, thanks. Have a good one. Now go out there and start some conversations of your own. Take care.